All right, welcome. I'm glad you guys made the trek out. The roads really weren't that bad, at least where we were driving. It's just, it's just extremely, extremely cold. But we are excited you are here, so welcome to Redemption. If this is your first time, I would love to meet you after. Uh, you also could uh, download the Church Center app and you could fill out the Connect card. We can give you a little bit more information that way about our church. And we would love to see you on a Sunday as well. Not this coming Sunday, because we're not gathering on Christmas Day, but January 1st. We would love to see you at our normal service, and that is at 1.30. <clears throat> so this evening, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. If you guys want to open up and turn there, you can. Obviously, we're talking about the birth of Jesus. Now, having a, a baby is a wonderful thing. Right? For you parents, you know that, is, that that's true. It, it is taxing, it is challenging at times, but it is a good thing. Children bring so much joy, so much laughter to their parents. At least until they grow up a little bit, they become teenagers, and then they are a whole different thing. But for the most part, children bring parents much joy. Uh, my daughter, Madeline, while she can be a monster at times, like last night when she decided she didn't need to sleep, uh, most of the time... She is fun. She is so much joy. Uh, she's, she's such a joy to be around. She constantly has us laughing. It seems like every day she is doing something new, saying new phrases, learning a new skill, or just doing something weird that she hadn't done the day before. She brings me so much joy, and I love telling people about my daughter. I love to show them pictures of her because I think she's adorable. I love to tell them the, the silly things she does because I hope it makes them laugh as much as it makes me laugh. And I think this is pretty normal for parents. Parents like to talk about their kids. They like to tell other people about all the weird and nonsensical stuff their kids do. You know what I never do is tell people about somebody else's kid. Right? That would be weird. If I walked around and I never told you about my kid, I just talked about everybody else's children, you guys would probably think that there is something wrong with me. Like, unless your kid is doing something like just outrageous, something extremely interesting. It'd be weird if I was running around asking people, hey, have you seen Alan Jones' kids? Like, it just, it would be weird. Nobody would would like that. Tonight, we're looking at at the the prophecy of Zechariah. So not not the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And he prophesies in Verses 67 through 79. Zechariah was a priest, and when he was doing his priestly duty, working in the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to him, and the angel told him, Zechariah, you're going to have a son named John. He's going to be a great prophet of the Lord, and he is going to lead many people of Israel back to the Lord. But Zechariah was an older man. His wife Elizabeth was barren. They could not have children. Having children was really not on the cards for them. And so Zechariah naturally questions Gabriel. Okay, Gabriel, I hear you, but considering my circumstances, how is this going to work? I don't really see how this is possible. And in response to his unbelief, Gabriel tells Zechariah, you will no longer be able to speak until the child is born. The child will still be born, but you are not speaking for the next nine months. And that is exactly What happened, Zechariah was not able to open his mouth to speak for a full nine months until the moment his baby was born. The day came when John was born, and after they named the boy, 
Zechariah's mouth opened. He was able to speak again. What do you think he talked about? Did he tell everybody about how great his child is, all the incredible things that his child was going to do? His child's going to be a prophet of the Most High. He's going to lead people back to the Lord. I mean, Zechariah has gone his whole life. He, he hasn't had children. He's been longing to have children of his own. And now for nine months, he's been unable to speak about his excitement, his overjoyedness at having this child. But when the moment comes to finally celebrate, he doesn't speak about his own child. He speaks about somebody else's child. Because as much as he loved his own child, the birth of Jesus was far more significant. This father had longed for a child, but rather than speaking about his own child, he speaks about his cousin's child. Read with me from uh, verses 67 through 75. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant." The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. After Mary was visited by Gabriel, we had uh, Jim and Tracy Cresswell read that passage for us a few minutes ago. After Gabriel explained to her that she would give birth to Jesus, her response was one of praise. She praised the Lord. You know that famous passage, Mary's song. She praises God for all that he has done in the past and all that he is going to do now through Jesus Christ. Zechariah obviously didn't get the chance to praise the Lord because he didn't get to speak for nine months. But now that he's able to speak, his response is very similar to the song of Mary. And both of them start by praising the Lord. The first line in, in verse 68 expresses the, the purpose of Zechariah's prophecy to praise, to bless God. And then everything that follows is the reason why we ought to praise God. And as Zechariah lists these different reasons we should be praising God, he is, is referencing many of the ways that God has worked in the past, the ways that he has worked in the Old Testament throughout Israel's history. This whole passage is just steeped in Old Testament references. First, he says that the Lord has visited and redeemed his people. And this language draws our attention back to the previous work of God in Exodus. The word for visit literally means to, to look upon or to, to check up on. If we go back to Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, the Israelites believe when they hear that God has visited them. God has heard our cries. He has visited us. And then they believed, and then the Lord redeemed the people of Israel. And as you go through the Old Testament, frequently God's redemptive work, his leading the people out of, out of Egypt, is frequently described as redeeming his people. So Zechariah is saying that God has come to rescue, to save, to redeem us, and he's doing that through Jesus Christ. This is also the same language used in the Greek Old Testament when God visited Sarah. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, was also barren. When God visited Sarah, the result was that she conceived and bore a child. 
Now God has visited his people Israel again. And the result is two more miraculous conceptions. Mary, obviously, who was a virgin, conceived and is about to give birth to Jesus. The other was Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, who was also barren. And she has just now given birth as well. But the one that Zechariah has in focus is not his own son, but it is, in fact, Jesus. And we know that because verse 69 speaks of raising up the horn of salvation in the house of David. Now, the horn is used as a symbol of strength. That's the strongest part of an animal. Sometimes in the Bible, it's used to refer to kingship. Right? This is speaking about the covenant God made with David. When he promised David that your line would reign as king in Israel forever. And if you think back to the, the passage that Jim and Tracy read for us, that's what Gabriel told Mary. Your son, Jesus, he is going to be given the throne of David and he will rule forever. God is fulfilling the Davidic covenant, his promises to his people through the person of Jesus. Then verses 70 and 71, he's referencing the Old Testament prophets. Those who prophesied that God would one day raise up this king from David's line who would be the deliverance and the salvation of his people. I'm not going to read it, but if you, if you looked in Jeremiah 23, he says that almost word for word. That God will raise up that Davidic king, that he will bring salvation. Verse 72 is, is probably a reference to Micah 7.20. And that one I will read, and it should be on the screen behind me. It says this, You will show faithfulness to Jacob... And steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word for steadfast love is the same word used here in Luke for mercy. Micah prophesied that the Lord would show faithfulness to Jacob or Israel and steadfast love or mercy to Abraham. Zechariah's point is that through Jesus, God will not only uphold the Davidic covenant, but also the covenant he made to Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would create a nation for himself from the descendants of Abraham, that they would be as many as the stars, as many as the sand on the shore, and that this nation would walk with the Lord. They would be obedient to the Lord. They would be faithful, and that they would become a blessing and a light to every other nation on earth. Unfortunately, Israel failed in this endeavor, miserably, I might add. In their efforts to be faithful, they were, they were constantly and consistently turning from the Lord. What happened as soon as they left Egypt, the golden calf, they immediately turn and start worshiping an idol. As soon as they get into the promised land that the Lord was giving them, they, they leave God and they serve the gods of the Canaanites. Shortly after that, when enemies knocked on their door, they did not look to the Lord for deliverance. They didn't put their trust in God. They put their trust in the wicked pagan nations around them. All of this led to their exile, which they would eventually be brought out of. But now, by the time of Zechariah, they are living under the iron fist of the Roman Empire. But despite hundreds and hundreds of years of unfaithfulness from God's people, God is still faithful. Every one of those promises, those covenants, all of those things that God had told them, he intends to keep. He intends to fulfill each of those promises. Zechariah is bringing together all of these allusions, all these references to the past delivering work of God, to the past promises, the covenants, all of this work that he's done. He looks back at all of these things, and then what happens in the very next section of Luke, chapter 2? You should know this. Who's born? 
Jesus. So he's, he's pointing out all these ways that God has worked, and then he puts this right before, Luke puts this right before the birth of Jesus. All of these Old Testament threads that Zechariah is pulling from, from all throughout the Bible, they're intended to highlight the magnitude of what God is now doing in the person of Jesus. All of God's past work, the covenants, the promises of future deliverance, the entire Old Testament is moving toward and pointing toward this very moment, to the incarnation of Jesus, to Jesus taking on flesh, being born as a baby. All of those promises, all of those covenants, all of that delivering work, that salvation, all of it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. God's plan to set those things, or God's plan to deliver those things, to fulfill those things, has now been set into, into motion through the birth of Jesus. So Zechariah is praising God because Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is about to be born. Makes sense that he didn't talk about his own son, right? He loves his son, but, but Jesus' birth is far more significant. Now, he doesn't entirely leave his son out. The next section, he does start to talk about John. But even there, it is in relation to Jesus. Because John the Baptist has an important role to play in the coming of Jesus. Let's read those last four verses. Verses 76 through 79. <clears throat> and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. <clears throat> so his son, Zechariah's son, John, will be a prophet of the Most High, a prophet of the Lord. The last prophet of the Lord died about 400 years, four to 500 years before John was born. So for four to 500 years, it's been pretty silent. There hasn't been somebody speaking God's word directly to his people. And Israel has grown accustomed to not having a prophet among them. But now God has sent a new prophet. And this prophet will be a forerunner to the Messiah himself. He will prepare the way for Jesus. And even that, by the way, is from the Old Testament. Isaiah, in, in Isaiah chapter 40, prophesies that John would become a prophet who would prepare the way for Jesus. And John does this. He prepares the way by giving knowledge of salvation that comes through the forgiveness of sins. That's what John's, that's what his preaching was. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching that salvation had come through Jesus. That through Jesus, God would offer forgiveness of sins. And this salvation, Zechariah says, this coming of Jesus is a result of God's tender mercy for us. The word that we translate tender, it implies a, a gentle love, a gentle affection. So despite our sinful rebellion, despite, we are, despite the fact that we are sinful to our core, God maintains a disposition of, of tenderness, of love, of mercy toward us. So much so that he sent his son to save us. And this is what Zechariah is referring to when he talks about the sunrise that will visit us from on high. Again, I'm doing a lot of, a lot of Greek language here. But, but the word there, it literally means to spring forth or to rise up. 
And that word is, is very frequently used in the Bible, in the Old Testament, to talk about the Messiah. Or it's used to talk about the restorative and the redemptive work of the Lord. Here, the sunrise is referring to Jesus because he is the one that will redeem God's people. He is the one that visits from on high to give light to those in the darkness. Have you guys ever tried to move around in darkness? I don't mean like kind of dark. I mean like pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face darkness. So when I was uh, younger in middle school, uh, my friend and I would play a game. Whenever we would go to his house, his basement had no windows and it was very dark. And so one of us would stand on one side of the room and we would be blindfolded while the other would set up an obstacle course. Not really an obstacle course so much as just objects in your way to make you fall and get hurt. And then they would get it all set up and then you would turn the lights off and then the person on the far wall, they'd take the blindfold off. And then they're walking around trying to feel everything out. They can't see where they're going and they trip and they stumble. They fall over everything and they try to make their way to the other side. That's the image being painted of the world here. The image of stumbling around in darkness. You and I, apart from Jesus, the rest of the world, apart from Jesus, we are lost in the darkness of our sin. We stumble around looking for truth, looking for purpose, looking for a way to God. But on our own, we find nothing. We can't see. We have no means of navigating that darkness. Apart from Jesus, we are trapped in our sin, helpless to do anything but continue stumbling around in our own sin. And if that outlook of the world seems bleak to you, good. That's the point. It it should seem bleak, but this is the reality. Contrary to what our society teaches, contrary to what most of the religions of the world teach, we are not inherently good. All of us are sinful to the core. We have fallen short of God's standard. We are under the judgment and wrath of God. But the birth of Jesus was like the dawn breaking forth, lighting up the darkness. Verse 79 79 says that the sunrise guides our feet into the way of peace. This peace here is not just a lack of of fighting, a lack of war. It's not just a peace of mind or just general comfort. This is reconciliation restoration, relationship with God himself, a peace between sinful people and a holy God. Jesus stepped in to light the way, light up the darkness so we could find the way to God. Verses 67 through 75, they spoke of the ways that God delivered his people in the past, all the incredible promises he promised to fulfill in the future. 76 through 79, they they show that that the fulfillment of this is Jesus. He is the sunrise coming to light the way. Jesus is the one who will ultimately bring deliverance to God's people. He will make peace and reconciliation between God and man possible. He is the one who will fulfill every promise that God has made to his people. The Christmas story is not just a story we tell at Christmas time. It's not a fun story for the kids to get us in the Christmas spirit or in the the charitable mood. The Christmas story changes everything. It is the story of God humbling himself, taking on the form of man, taking on a human nature, becoming fully human, yet remaining fully God. But he was God. He he, He could have come in any way he wanted. He didn't come as a warrior. He didn't come as a king. He came as a helpless child in a manger. 
so that he could grow, so that he could live a perfect and sinless life that we are incapable of living. He did not come as a warrior to conquer and destroy his enemies. In fact, he came to lay his life down in the place of his enemies. He came to take the sin of his enemies on himself to become the perfect atoning sacrifice that we needed. And after he suffered far more than you and I could possibly imagine, after he was beaten and mocked and abused and nailed to a cross, he laid his life down. He bore the full wrath of God that we deserved. And then three days later, he took his life back up again. He rose from the dead. The story of Christmas is the story of Jesus doing everything we could not do for ourselves. It is the story of Jesus humbling himself and stepping into a world of sin and darkness so he could be a light to us and lead us into salvation. And this salvation is freely offered to all people. It is not something to be earned. It's not a reward to those who are good enough to earn it. It's not the outcome of a, of a life well lived. You may think that, you know, I'll just keep doing my thing and I'll be a generally good person and things will work out. Things will not work out if that is the way you choose to live. There is one way to salvation and it is only Jesus. Salvation is a gift freely given only to those who call on the name of Jesus and put their faith in him. This invitation is to all people, but this invitation also has an expiration date. When your life ends, that invitation is no longer on the table. Those who die in their sin, they will be judged and punished in hell for eternity. Unending suffering and judgment. But those who have been made righteous and holy by their faith in Jesus will live forever in perfect relationship with God. Romans 10, 9 through 11 It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That is what God asks of us. He doesn't ask us to be perfect ourselves. He says, put your faith in the one who is perfect. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you go from death to life. You are welcomed as a child of God. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are freed from the bondage of sin and death, and you are made able to live a life that is pleasing to God. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, I urge you to do that tonight. If you would like to have a relationship with God and accept this gift of salvation, then acknowledge and confess that you are a sinner and that you do, in fact, need a Savior. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and proclaim to God in prayer that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he truly did die on the cross for your sins and rise three days later. This is what he asks of us, faith. And then out of gratitude... For this great gift of salvation, we go on and we live a life of faithfulness. We we live a life of obedience to demonstrate our faith in Jesus. And we do that by turning from our former sinful ways, by walking according to the commands of God's word, and living our lives in a way that pleases and honors him. 
there's anyone in here that has not made that decision to follow Jesus and you would like to speak with somebody further about that, there are a whole bunch of people in this room that would be happy to do that with you. I would be happy, any of our other elders and anybody else here, I'm sure, as well. This is why Jesus came to earth as a baby, to live a sinless life, to die in our place so that we did not have to, so that we might have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so humbled as we, as we think about the Christmas story, to think that you laid aside your glory, your privilege, your honor, your power, that you laid it all aside to take on human flesh, to live a life of sinlessness only to be crucified on a cross. Lord, we are so grateful for the great love with which you have loved us, for sending your son to be the sacrifice that we needed. And Lord, I ask that if there is any in here tonight who does not know you, I pray that your spirit would convict them, that that he would draw them to a relationship with you, that he would lay it on their heart to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would be honored by the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name, amen.